uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at two chapters. We're kind of, kind of move quickly. I'm giving a little bit of an overview, but I'm going to try to connect you to the principles that are being taught in these two chapters. And they really are addressed in, in Scripture a lot. And that is the condition of our hearts. This series is called Healthy Hearts. And uh, it's not always fun to stop a minute and look under the hood, if you will. I'm a guy, I use a car metaphor, but to look under the hood, check the engine, see how our heart's doing um, is not always fun, but it's really, really important. Uh, the truth is that you and I are going to struggle to live for Jesus. We're going to struggle to be obedient to him, you know, to do what he says in terms of our character and our morality. We're going to struggle to experience the life Jesus wants us to have, which is one filled with peace and joy, contentment, right? Those are the things Jesus wants for you and I. But we're going to struggle to experience those if we are not dealing with our hearts. And we can go through life and we can ignore our hearts and we can probably make it and kind of get through life. But we're not going to live the way God wants. We're not going to experience what he wants for us. And a lot of times we're going to wonder, you know, does this Jesus thing really work? And, and what am I doing this for, you know? And so I don't want that for us. And so every August, I try to stop for a minute, take a month, and lift the hood and check underneath to see how you're doing. And so um, I wonder, how is your heart? How are you doing, really? Um, what we're going to see this week, kind of a big idea, is that healthy hearts admit... They constantly need God. Healthy hearts admit they constantly need God. Um, as I said, it's easy to ignore our needs, and sometimes admitting that we need help is the hardest thing to do. Um, in the Gospels, as Jesus walks the earth, as he's interacting with people, every once in a while, well, he always asks questions, right? Every time he interacts with somebody, there's questions that he asks. And, uh, and sometimes that question that he asks, um, well, it's obviously tailored to the person, but it's really important. And I've noticed that Jesus oftentimes asks people what they want from him. One of those stories is um, uh, found in Mark chapter 10, the, the story of Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus, we call him blind Bartimaeus because he was blind. And he couldn't see. And so he struggled in life. He had to beg and uh, ask people to help him and it was just one of those people who was always around, always needy, and kind of like, ah, Bartimaeus. And so um, uh, one day Jesus is walking uh, through town, and there's people around Jesus, crowds just flocking to him. And here's Bartimaeus yelling out, Jesus, Jesus, help me. And, uh, and there's people around, and they're like, Bartimaeus, be quiet. You know, <laughs> I mean, just right, that kind of thing. And yet he won't stop, and he just keeps crying out. And finally Jesus stops. And he turns to Bartimaeus and he asks a real important question. It kind of seems silly in a way, like Jesus. But, but Jesus asked him, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And of course, Bartimaeus says, I want to be able to see, you know. And so I, I know that Jesus would ask the same question of you and I. What do you want me to do for you? And I wonder if you've thought, what is it that you want Jesus to do for you? Sometimes getting to that place of asking is the hardest part. And sometimes figuring out what we really want from him is also difficult. 
But what we're going to see in this passage today is there's an attitude, a behavior, kind of a way of thinking that we need to walk in if we're going to access the help that God wants to give us. If we're going to access the blessings of God, the goodness of God, then we need to be in the right posture, the right frame of mind, the right way of looking at life. And so first we're going to see in Matthew 5, as we start off here, Jesus preaching a famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, and he deals with what we call Beatitudes. Um, In verses 1 through 10, the first thing we're going to see here is that healthy hearts know they are needy. Healthy hearts know they are needy. And you're like, wait, wait a minute, Pastor. Being needy is not a good thing. No, 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 that's not a good thing. Well, no, hold on. Listen, listen, listen to Jesus, okay? This is, this is God teaching us how we need to live if we're going to access the life he wants to give us, if we're going to be blessed by God. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, in verse 1, Jesus went up on the mountainside. He sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. First, he says this. God blesses, that means makes, uh, fills their life, right? There's happiness, there's joy, there's peace, all these things. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Well, Jesus, are you saying we've got to be only the poor people are going to be blessed? Like, that seems weird. I mean, you've got to be poor to be blessed by God. Well, hold on, what, what, what's he really saying here? Well, he's talking about spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty is different than physical property, or poverty, right? Spiritual poverty, and so to access the blessings of God, we need to walk through life knowing that we're spiritually poor and that we need him. What does he say next? Verse four, he continues to unlock the key to the blessed life, the life that God wants to give us. Next, he says this, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What is it that we're supposed to mourn? What kind of mourning? We mourn when we have a loss, when things don't work, when we fail. We mourn, but, but hold on, what's the mourning here? The mourning is mourning over our spiritual condition. So I have a sense of my sin, where I stand before God, who I am in comparison to him, who I am in comparison to who he made me to be, that's the kind of mourning that is going to allow me to access the blessings of God. Does this seem weird? Does this seem strange? No. This is how we get access to God and the life he wants to give us. What does he say next? God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Spiritual humility. There's spiritual poverty, spiritual grief, and now spiritual humility. To walk with an awareness of my shortcomings and faults. Do I go through life thinking I'm pretty good? Oh, I'm a good person. I follow all the rules. I do what I'm supposed to do. I'm a good person. No, spiritual humility says I'm aware of my shortcomings. I'm aware where I fall short, where I fail, where I've done damage to others and myself. He goes on, Jesus says, the next thing, God blesses those who, are, who hunger and thirst for justice. Some versions say righteousness, simply speaking, rightness, okay? God blesses those who hunger and thirst, desire 
are, are hungry and thirsty for justice, for rightness, for they will be satisfied. That means people who are aware that there are spiritual standards. To hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice is to know that how I live matters. How I treat other people, what I do in this life, it matters. And I hunger and thirst to see my life line up with who God made me to be, how he wants me to live. In other words, I carry the burden of my shortcomings, my sin. I walk in humility, and then I desire more than anything to become like Jesus and to be the person God made me to be. That's the hunger and thirst for justice. It doesn't mean to say, well, I'm Irish. I got a bad temper. It's just the way I am. It's just our family trait, and it's okay. No, no, no. That's not hungering and thirsting for right. Hungering and thirsting for right is to say, yeah, I don't have this figured out yet. I'm not acting as I should. I don't reflect Jesus right yet in this area of my life. And I'm, I hunger and thirst to be the person God wants me to be. Um, next, Jesus says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those of us as we walk through life who spiritually release people from what they've done to us. We, we release them. We easily release them from the wrong they've committed. We don't hold them against them. We don't want to exact uh, revenge on them. No, no, no. We, we can release. It's okay. Right? There's a way in which we walk through this life and how we handle people. This justice and mercy are found even in the Old Testament, Micah 6, 8, the people of Israel, what does God want from us, right? And he tells them to do justly. When you act towards others, do the right thing. To love mercy, love letting people off the hook when they wrong you, and then to walk humbly with God. You see it reflected here. Jesus is teaching those same principles. This is how you live. This is how you access the life that God wants to give you. This is how you access the blessings of God, is to walk through life in this way. Release. What's the next thing? Verse 8, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. The spiritually sincere, a genuine desire for God and the change he wants to bring in your life. A lot of times as we go through life, we play games with God. We try to get him to do for us what we want him to do. We want out of him what we need from him but we're not really pure in our sincere pursuit of him and his presence in our lives. God blesses those who have a pure heart. They really want God. Next, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. When you begin to develop life this way and you walk through life with these character traits, this is how you approach life, it's interesting how you gain the ability to become a peacemaker and to help peace uh, to happen around you. We've talked about that before. The, the healthier my heart gets, the more peace-loving I become and the more able I am to create peace. In fact, without even trying, as I go through life and interact with people, peace happens around me. The opposite of that, of course, is drama and conflict, and that tends to come around me when my heart's not healthy. Remember, if you start off the day and your first interaction is with somebody who's mean to you and they, they, they don't treat you right, that person is a jerk, okay? But if you go throughout your whole day and every person that you interact with is mistreating you, mean to you, causing you to get angry, it might be that you're the jerk. 
<laughs> Listen, those things are hard. I'm, my name's John and I'm your friend. I, I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. And this stuff, I have to listen to it all week as God pounds me with this stuff. It's not easy. And believe me, I know this is difficult stuff, but, but it matters. It's so important. Do you see the heart is where life comes from? And this, this is what matters, right? And so we, we've got to listen to Jesus here. Stop a minute and listen to what he's saying. The son of God telling us how we can access God's blessings, how we can access God himself. I'm working for peace. Spiritual harmony or unity is what I'm working to help happen in the world around me. Verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's spiritual suffering. It's fearing God more than I fear people. If you're going to live for God, you're going to get some pushback on how you live your life. There's a young man here who's uh, come to Christ and he's been growing and, and, and changing, right? And God's been changing him. And where he works, there were some things he did before he came to Christ. And one of them was he's responsible for his timesheet and he would maybe round up a little bit on both sides, right? Just to pad uh, the time a little bit extra and he could get away with that. And, and, uh, and it worked for him. And after coming to Christ, he begins to feel convicted about that. It's not right, it's not honest. And so he changes that behavior and more accurately right? Accurately represents his time. Problem is, he's part of a crew. (laughs) And when he doesn't pad the numbers, nobody else can pad the numbers. And so they were all like, man, we're so thankful you got honest and (laughs) that you're doing the right thing. Thanks for helping all of us, right? No, (laughs) stop, you Jesus freak. What are you doing, man? You're hurting all of our paychecks. He got some pushback. This is going to happen if you decide to follow Jesus. And you're going to have to be okay with some spiritual suffering. But here's the good news, that you're blessed. Your life is blessed. And guess what happens? Those same guys, when things start blowing up, when marriage isn't working, when life isn't working, guess who they go ask help from, right? So, I mean, you can want to be popular or you can be respected. And walking through life following Jesus puts you in the category of being respected though not always treated nicely. Spiritual suffering is going to be part of our life. And so really what I'm trying to say in this first section as we see Jesus teaching is there's an admittance that I am needy, that I need God. I walk through life with that awareness. Now I've seen in my own life three different kinds of admitting that I need God's help. There's the first kind of admitting, which I do when things are blowing up around me. When there's pain and suffering in my life and it's like, okay, God, you got me, okay? I, 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 I'll, I'll admit I need help. Please help me. Get me out of this jam. Fix this problem. Take the pain away. I'll admit I need your help in this crisis, right? The second kind of admitting is what we do when we recognize we're going to have to face God and be judged. And we say, okay, I don't want to get in trouble there. I don't want to spend eternity in hell. Okay, God, I'll admit I need your help uh, to forgive my sins and save me. I'll, I'll pray a prayer. I'll raise my hand. I'll get that fire insurance ticket. And, and I'm willing to admit I need your help in that. But the real admittance that Jesus is speaking to here in this passage is an admittance that I need God into my life. Not just to get me out of a jam. Not just to take away the judgment in the future but to walk with me and to help me transform my life. 
That's the kind of admittance that a healthy heart does. That's the kind of admittance we need to make if we're going to get healthy hearts because we need the presence of God. We need his power and we need him to change us. And this is something we need on a daily basis, not just in a one-time moment. Next, as we move through this chapter, the next thing we're going to see here is that healthy hearts are okay with being mistreated. As our hearts get healthier, we respond differently when we are mistreated. Verse 11, Jesus said, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers, because you belong to me. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. One of the indicators to me of how healthy my heart is, is how I respond to an offense. To somebody taking a poke at me, uh, taking a jab at me, uh, saying something uh, negative, right? How do I respond to that? And it's one of the indicators. It's become a barometer that I pretty quickly recognize. Didn't always do it, but I pretty quickly recognize. If I respond with anger, with a reaction, right? Temper flare, you know, if I want to push back, argue, that's a sign, that's an indicator to me that something's wrong inside. It's something's wrong under the hood, okay? Because my heart, if it's healthy, it's not going to respond that way. I'm going to have some elasticity to my heart. It's going to be able to absorb that energy and bounce back, and we're going to be okay. We'll move through the day. Not a big deal. But if it is a big deal, if I'm tempted to post a rant on Facebook about the lady that cut me off on the way to work... <laughs> Not that any of us have ever done that, but if you're tempted to react that way, just, just saying it might be a little indicator that something's wrong there. Your heart isn't healthy if you respond that way. My heart's healthy. I'm not entitled. I'm not spoiled. I don't think life should go by without troubles and difficulties and struggles. And even I know that as I follow Jesus, I'm going to be mistreated. And I respond differently to it if I have a healthy heart. And so healthy hearts... Have a, have a change in how we respond to life and to the things that happen around us. Next thing we see as we move through this chapter is that healthy hearts answer to God. There's an awareness of accountability in a healthy heart. I don't just walk through life doing whatever I want because I want to do it, but I, I come under God's authority. I recognize that I'm accountable to him for how I live and I am expected by the God who made me to live in a certain way. Matthew 5, look at verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Speaking to Israel, right? God's people. You guys are the salt of the earth. Um, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It's going to be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You're the light of the world, he says. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In other words, you guys are here to represent God. You're supposed to glorify him. You're supposed to point to him so that other people, the rest of the world, can see who God is. You know, that's why God uh, started the nation of Israel. That's why he picked Abraham or Abram first, and then I'm going to make a nation out of you. Well, part of the purpose was to reveal himself to the world through Israel. And Jesus is saying, do you remember who you are? And I would just say to you and I, we're God's people. If you've trusted in Christ, then you are to reflect God. 
The way we say it is you're to glorify God with your life. And do you know that glorifying God is reflecting God? Think of the way that the moon doesn't have any light of its own, but it reflects the sun, right? You and I are to reflect God as we live our lives. That's part of the purpose for our existence here. And if we lose sight of that, if our hearts aren't healthy, I can just promise you that our behaviors look less and less like Jesus. We can follow some rules, but we're not going to really represent him. And so the truth is, Jesus goes on next to talk about the law and why the law was created and that he didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to lower the bar for our behavior. He actually came to make it possible for us to live according to God's standards where we couldn't before. The law just revealed to us that we were unable to be obedient to God and to live up to who he's made us to be. But we know, as Jesus says in verse 20, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law, the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, our righteousness matters. How we live matters. We're here to represent God, to reflect him. We're accountable. And healthy hearts recognize that. The next thing we see as we move through this chapter is that healthy hearts are always being transformed. The next thing Jesus does is he works through the law, okay? He works through the law with these people. Now, they're Israelites. They're the people of God. They know the law. The law of Moses was given to them, and that's what they're required to follow, and they know it. But he's going to reveal to them that they can follow the law, okay, in their behaviors and not have healthy hearts that are really being obedient to God in the midst of that. And so healthy hearts are always being transformed. In other words, there's a transformation that needs to be taking place in us. And you can follow the rules and you can check off the boxes and you can be not um, living for God and not experiencing the character change that God wants for you. So Jesus starts to deal with different rules and the first one's murder. Um, In verse 21, he says, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment, right? This is a law you know. Don't kill anybody. Don't murder, right? And if you don't murder, you're keeping the law. But Jesus presses in now deeper to the heart. Verse 22, he says, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, Like my kids used to say when they were in trouble, well, dad, at least I'm not killing anybody. You know, I didn't kill anybody. Sorry, my daughter's in here. She loves it when I talk about it. But here's the truth. At least I'm not killing anybody, dad. I'm like, that's great. I'm glad you're measuring up to that standard, but I have a little more expectations out of you, you know? And this is kind of what Jesus is saying. It's great, Israel. You're not killing each other. Boy, that's good. Good job. But how about how you treat each other? What are you really doing in your heart and mind towards other people? You ever get angry with somebody? You ever call somebody an idiot under your breath, maybe to their face? You ever curse somebody? Jesus says this is a real standard because it reflects what's really going on in your heart. That's what I expect out of you. That's how you should be living. And if your heart is being transformed, then you're not just going to not kill somebody, right? 
You're not going to treat them harshly. You're not going to come with anger. You're not going to curse them. You're not going to disrespect them. Next, he goes on to how um, a relationship with God is affected by our relationship with people. In verse 23, he says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, you've wronged somebody, you've sinned against somebody, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. In other words, you're going to worship. You're going to worship, you're going to church, you got dressed, you got out the door, and you're going to worship, and on the way you remember, as you pass a house, as you pass a business, as you pass a car, oh, we got a problem. I've done something wrong to them. I know I sinned against them. Jesus says, turn around. Like Going to church to worship is not gonna work if you've not dealt with the person. So deal with the offense. Ask forgiveness, make it right. Then come and worship. And what Jesus is really saying here is that if you think you can go to church and worship and ignore how you deal with people and issues and problems, you are mistaken. You're gonna come to church and you're not gonna experience God. You're gonna come to church and end up doing, you know, the critiquing thing and what are they doing here? And Well, look around, worry about everybody else and everything's wrong because that's what we do when we have unresolved issues. And, and Jesus is saying that, that. Listen, understand that principle. If you want your relationship to God, with God to be right, you want to experience that blessed life, you've got to walk in obedience to him and deal with people. And it's hard. It's very hard, very difficult. But so important because it affects, it affects our lives. The condition of our heart matters. Then he goes on to deal with uh, our sex lives. Um, he says, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. You know, don't sleep with somebody else's spouse. Don't, um, don't have sex outside of marriage is the, is the basic understanding of what adultery means. Jesus says, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust. By the way, women lust too, right? So picking on men here, but it goes both ways. I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The standard is not just don't sleep with somebody. The standard is what's going on in your heart towards others. And that's why pornography is such a killer for us because it encourages lust. It allows it. It allows us to have interactions with people that are lust-filled and it fuels that part of our lives and that kills our hearts. It destroys our hearts. It, it damages our relationship with God and with others makes it very difficult to have a real relationship if we built our minds and our behaviors uh, uh, to function that way. And so Jesus says, listen, this, this matters. Your heart matters. What are you doing with this? Okay, great, you're not sleeping with somebody, but, but what's really going on in your heart and mind? Are you healthy? Next, he deals with divorce, which is another fun one, but Jesus says, um, you've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. In other words, no fault, legal divorce, you just fill out a form and it's done. But Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, what's really going on in marriage, because it's a covenant before God. And so he says, but I say that if a man divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, he causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. In other words, when people get married, there's a bond there that God sees 
as a lifelong bond. It, it doesn't go away just because you filled out a paper, right? And so this is a reality. Jesus is saying, listen, there's something more going on here. What's happening in your heart? Are you acknowledging that? Are you dealing with it? Then he goes on to how we, um, how we are truthful or not, right? And uh, when my kids were coming up, again, um, not trying to pick on them, it's just, but uh, they would do this thing of pinky, pinky swear, you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? So they uh, like connect their pinky to another person, pinky swear, and then that means they're going to keep their word. Do you realize how silly that is? Your pinky and, okay. But why do we do that? Why do we do it? Why do we say, my generation is great at this. We say, um, uh, let's see. Well, I'm going to be honest. And then we say something or, um, you know. Well, I can't lie. And, and then we say something, which kind of implies that normally we lie, I guess. And normally we're not honest. Is that, is that why we have to say, well, in this moment, I'm telling you the truth. I mean, why do we do that? Well, because we're not truthful. We're not honest. And Jesus here says, listen, quit doing that. Quit swearing by earth and heaven and all these big things to prove that you're going to keep your word. Just be honest. When you say yes, mean it. When you say no, mean it. Next, he moves on to how we handle when we are wronged. And he asks us to move, if our hearts are healthy, from retaliation to selfless love. He says, you've heard the law that says a punishment, uh, the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your, co- your coat too. He's like, listen, instead of retaliating when you're wronged, this isn't an endorsement of taking abuse. That's not what's being said here. But, but our response is usually if somebody wrongs us, we're looking for revenge. We're looking to get back and we're going to make it right. We're going to make them pay. And he's like, no, no, no. If you have a healthy heart, when somebody mistreats you, you can respond selflessly and serve them and love them. That can be the response to being wrong. That's a sign of a healthy heart. So Jesus continues to expose the struggles we have with really being healthy. We like to justify going after revenge. We like to justify, right? Seeking retaliation. But Jesus is saying, man, if your heart's healthy, if you're walking with God, then you're not gonna respond that way. You'll be able to respond the way Jesus wants you to, which is even to love your enemy, which is what he talks about next. Treating others the way God would treat them. What did Jesus do when he was on the cross and his enemies were killing him? Did he say, God, please wipe them out? God, would you send some angels and destroy these people? No, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's a compassion that we can have when our hearts are healthy. Next, he talks about the good things we do. Um, The good things we do in chapter 6. And he asks us to move from doing good to get political points to actually helping others without needing the credit. He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose your reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. Right? When we do good, it's not to get political points so other people see it and think how great we are. Right? Um, 
I had too many illustrations for that one. But you can do things to get a recognition, okay? And, and Jesus like, that, that's not a sign of a healthy heart. Like, anyone can do that. Are you actually helping people when no one notices? Well, you help somebody when you're not going to get the credit for it. That's a sign of a healthy heart because that's what we do when somebody's in need or we see a need around us. We can help with it without needing credit. Then he moves on to our prayer life and how we interact with God. And he says, move from religion to a relationship. Verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Don't, don't do your relationship with God just publicly. That's what religion looks like. And there's a form of Christianity that's just religion. Show up, be seen, be seen at the right places at the right times, get the, get the points right, I'm doing the right things, check the boxes. Jesus is like, no, God doesn't want that kind of prayer from you. It's not even real. Go pray in private. Have a relationship with him. Walk with him. And then he teaches them how to pray. Then in verse 14, as we move through chapter 6, he talks about forgiving and the importance of forgiving. And he gets pretty harsh here. In verse 14, he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, our relationship with God is affected by how we interact with other people. And if we're not dealing with things the way God tells us to, if we're not forgiving, if we're not letting other people go from their offenses, then our relationship with God gets affected and we don't experience his forgiveness. And it causes us to lose the joy of our salvation and to walk with kind of just a numb feeling of where is God and and how come he's not blessing me? And how come I'm not getting his help in life? And often it's just because of our behavior and our unwillingness to do what he, what he commands of us to do. And it's not because he needs us to do it. It's because we need to do it. Next he moves into a focus on this world or on heaven. And not to store up treasures here, but to store up treasures in heaven. To have a focus on what really matters. As I work with young men a lot, I get a concern that a lot of young men have. They get married and begin to have a family and they wonder, am I going to be successful? Am I going to make it? In the world. And what I try to tell them and encourage them with is, like one man told my kids when they were in uh, high school, if you, um, if you show up on time, if you listen to what you're told and do it, okay, um, if you're honest, then you're in the top 95 percentile of the workforce. You'll be successful, right? Uh, unfortunately, the bar isn't super high. And to make it in this world, pretty, still pretty prosperous in this country. And I just tell young men, you're probably going to be okay in that area. But what about the areas that are more important, that are more difficult, like your marriage, your kids, raising them to know and love God, having a relationship with them? Those are the things you should be concerned about, you should be worrying about, because they're much more difficult to succeed at. And so we, Jesus is trying to encourage these folks to focus on the things that matter. Get your focus onto spiritual things and not just onto the earthly things and success in this life. He gets to the core, I think, of his message here, which is um, the truth that we're living according to what we believe and what we really think matters. In verse 22, he says, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. 
But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that, uh, how deep that darkness is? In other words, if you buy into the message of what it takes to succeed in this life and be happy and to have what you want and you believe that's light or truth, how deep of a darkness are you really stuck in? And so Jesus is saying, man, if, if you're not able, he says the eye, I like to say the heart, but if your heart isn't healthy and you're not recognizing it and you're not acknowledging it and dealing with it, then your heart's gonna close off the ability to experience and understand and walk in what Jesus wants you to walk in to get healthy and to get whole and to actually be living life the way he intended for you to live it. Last, healthy hearts put God above all else. And Jesus presses them about, you can't have two masters. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve the world and God. You've got to go all in one way or the other. In verse 33 of chapter 6, one of my favorite verses, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. What is your source of life? How are you living this life? Are you really understanding and admitting that you're needy, that you need God? There's a constant admitting that I need God if I'm going to walk in a healthy way. Because going through this life provides the opportunity to get hurt and to get wounded and to have uh, issues It starts when we're young and it goes through our entire lives. And if we're unaware, unwilling to stop and admit we need help, then we're not going to get healed. Then we'll walk through life. We can be religious. We can be Christians and yet not reflect God, not experience the life he wants us to have, which is a healthy life that involves peace and joy and contentment. And those things are difficult and elusive. And the only way we're going to get them is if we're walking with Jesus, admitting our need and allowing him to heal us. I've noticed that healing is not an easy thing. It's not easy. It doesn't just happen. We'd love it if God would just wave a wand and take away our pain and suffering and make things better. But he doesn't do that. And here's why. Because typically we got into the place of being hurt through our own decisions and behaviors. And if we're going to actually have a healthy life, which he wants us to have, we're going to have to participate in doing the hard work of walking with him and of seeing and experiencing that transformation. And one of the ways that we uh, do that here at Mitchell Brian, we have a ministry called CR. And again, it's just a process of discipleship, but it's designed to help bring about healing so that we can actually walk with him in a healthy way to help us get to that place where we can walk in health and experience health. And, and I know it's hard. It's a big step Uh, to move in that direction or to try something like that. But from what I've seen, you're probably not going to get healthy on your own. You cannot heal your own heart. You need help. You need support. And so in CR, you get around some other people and and you have to get vulnerable and that's scary, but it's okay because other people are going to get vulnerable too. And they have to, you know, they have to open up. and, And so you help each other. And then the Holy Spirit guides the process. Scripture guides the process. And you learn to walk with Jesus and to experience his healing. And that's what I want for you. We got a testimony of somebody that's gone through this and experienced that healing or is experiencing it. So let's take a look at this. Hi, my name is J.R. Driver. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I just completed the 12 steps in June for grief and anger. 
When I started coming to CR, I wasn't sure what to expect. I remember that the first meeting, I was thinking, what am I doing here? I don't need to fix anything, maybe just quit smoking. As I kept coming back, and by reporting progress to the group, God made it easier to want to quit smoking. This was just the start of my journey of self-discovery. As the 12 steps began, I wasn't sure what I was going to focus on. So still wondering what I was doing there, God started to work on me. The thing that caught my attention was that I never really grieved for my father's passing. I was too busy trying to stay strong for everyone else. The bottled up hurt led to another problem, anger. Even though I thought I was doing good with his passing, the truth was my temper was more unstable than ever. His passing also made me more emotional. My dad was my hero and I looked up to him more than he knew. A little backstory on my life. I didn't grow up in the church and didn't really start going till about 16 when a good friend talked to me into going to his church. That was right behind my house. I was super involved with youth one act and church for about a month or two this was the first time I witnessed the power of what God can do when I wasn't at school I was at church practicing for the upcoming event the Friday before the debut I had my first real recognizable encounter with Satan as I was leaving my dad got mad at me for leaving to practice at church I felt the presence of evil in action and calmly responded to my dad. I told him, come and see on Sunday, then you would know what it was all for. My dad and my mom came to church, and that was the first time in my life we all attended church together. One year later, dad, mom, and I were baptized together. But as young Christian, I was like the seed on rocky soil. I was on fire, but had no knowledge of how to deepen my roots. For the next 23 years, I avoided the church and lived of the world with no regard for God or the damage I was doing to myself. My past is mine, and I own all my decisions, good and bad. In my 20s, I was reckless with no regard to the outcome. I partied a lot, drank all the time, smoked, and was sexually active. I made terrible decisions in life and sometimes hurt others with no remorse for my actions. Played with fire in my life choices, but apparently God had other plans and loved me enough to keep me safe. As I lived my way, I still knew deep down that God was trying to get my attention. I got married to my wife and four years later lost my dad to cancer. Two years after that, we had our first child, my son, and four years after that, our daughter. Even though I still wasn't walking with God, I couldn't believe all the gifts in life He had given me. Many times I sat and questioned why God gave me the precious gifts of a beautiful family and other things in my life because I didn't deserve them. This showed me that even when I wasn't seeking God, He is with me and always loved me, even when I didn't care to listen or look His way. There were times when I wished I would have been a better 
and a stronger Christian sooner. But if I had, I wouldn't be who I am today. So I guess, as they say, we are all where we are supposed to be and when we are supposed to be there. About four years ago, I had an interaction with the Holy Spirit like never before. I was at war with myself about who I was and have I really accomplished anything? I was battling with wanting to be my own boss and having my own truck. The problem was that I was torn between financial success and, me and meaningful family relationships. When it comes to owning a truck, it comes with a steep price. And I was willing to chance losing what God gave me. My emotions were all over the place, torn within myself. I used to never listen to Christian radio, but that day I found a station on Pandora. Every song that came on was a message from God to my heart. I reached out to my old pastor from my youth. When he called me back to talk, the Holy Spirit hit me hard. I couldn't even say hello. I just started crying like a baby for at least five to ten minutes. I finally got my composure, and I told him what I was dealing with. When I got done talking to him, I felt all the hurt, indecision, and lost feelings just lifted right off my shoulders. That day, God showed me what it is to leave it at the cross. This showed me what a burden the wants of the world can be. It has shown me what I needed to focus on. It's God and a healthy relationship with my family. The best thing for me to remember is I cannot always focus on the big victories, but to be thankful for the small ones. 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. On this journey of life, I have learned how fast time flies and how important it is to make it count where it matters. I want to say coming to CR is way more than you think, and the discovery of your own hurts, hang-ups, or whatever the battle is. I am thankful for this church and the people in it, the CR group, the discipleship programs, many accountability partners, and sponsor. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I saw the proof of this verse in my own life as my wife and I made the CR journey together. I didn't see it at first, but God was using her to help me learn patience, compassion, and to have grace to support her journey. So come and see. I am still a work in progress, but now I know how to do a better job with the strength from God and my friends to help me deal with my hang-ups. <laughs>